0: You know what I was thinking was a pretty marvelous theological reality? Is how beautiful that is with the light coming through there, huh? Isn't that gorgeous? So I try to get this mic set. Wow. Just to show this morning with the rain and the thunder and the lightning. And the, and the light and the water. I was practicing one of the R's of... Uh, of the art of Thanksgiving earlier this week, and I went on retreat to Henry Cowell Redwoods National Park, and just overwhelmed by the beauty there. Um, I don't know if you've been there, but uh, it's, it's a gorgeous time to go in fall, and the leaves are turning, um, and as you take a, a walk into the redwoods, the light cascades just right through, through, the, through the branches of the redwoods. And it was kind of cold in the morning. It's almost like there was a steam rising up from the earth, and as you looked at the redwoods, it was like they were glowing. Like they had this, this steam. It looked like they were breathing almost, like the steam was just emanating off of them. I came across some deer as well, and they weren't that afraid of me. They, I got pretty close to them. And it was so cold that I could see their breath as they were breathing, just so quiet and serene, yet you could see their breath just surrounding uh, their face, their head just struck how beautiful it is. It's otherworldly to walk among these giant redwoods. And it got me thinking how I perceive a little slice of creation. We may look at the sort of, I don't even know how you describe that. Just the iridescence there of of the raindrops. We see a little slice of creation from a particular perspective. But God sees it all. From all angles. From the atomic, the subatomic, to the galactic. All at the same time, he perceives the beauty he has made. He, right now, is enjoying the Great Barrier Reef. He enjoys the laugh of a toddler in Tokyo. He enjoys Yosemite. He enjoys the beauty of a family gathered around the mill. He sees it all. From all different angles, and He's created it all. How wonderful is that? What joy must be in the being of God to, to enjoy that beauty that He has created at all times? And we just see a little bit of a glimpse. Now it's cool at Henry Cowell Redwoods as you continue on. They have a cross section of a tree, a giant redwood that was, uh, you know, felled in like 1930 or something. And it's kind of cool. As you look at the tree rings, they've labeled throughout history. It's like a 2,000, 2,200-year-old tree. And they labeled, you know, significant events uh, on the particular tree ring. So they have, like, you know, the beginning of World War I, uh, like the signing of the Declaration of Independence, when, uh, when the Chinese invented paper. And then right towards the middle, they have labeled the birth of Jesus Christ. And got me thinking, what a marvelous thing the incarnation is. What a mysterious thing that out of, out of all time, a long expanse of time, however old the universe is, God's being, the fullness of deity, was, was pleased to dwell in Jesus. The God who created it all, who sees it all, was pleased to dwell in Jesus, in the baby Jesus. The Word became flesh. I invite you to open up to John chapter 1 as I read uh, the sermon text for this morning. Page 1049, if you're reading along in, a, in the Pew Bible, we'll be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Uh, Let us pray. O mystery of mysteries, O God, please to dwell with man. Help us by your spirit encounter this mystery afresh and may we receive grace upon grace because of this wonderful mystery. Jesus' light shine in our darkness. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts sitting here, we would be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So mystery of mystery, God comes to us and shows us what he's like in Jesus Christ. The word who is with God, and who was God, becomes flesh. Now, this mystery, as you might expect, the early Christians had trouble sort of finding language for. They had a philosophical concept, the Greeks did, of the, the impassibility of God. All that to say, and you can ask your children here, they probably know about impassibility. I love that they're here with us this morning, by the way. Um means that God, it was the idea, that the truth that God could not suffer being God. How could God undergo suffering if he was the omnipotent almighty? So we have this concept of God's impassibility. How does that square with the word becoming flesh, with God taking on human form? And uh, because of this sort of difficulty in holding these two seemingly paradoxical truths together, Uh, there were some heresies that came up in the church. And heresies actually can be really helpful because we're prone to heresy. And heresy actually shows us the ways in which we may inadvertently go down the wrong path in the way we conceive of God and actually the way we live out our our faith in Christ. So one of the early heresies was docetism. And it's from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And uh, this early heresy that came up um, viewed that, well, the way we can get around sort of figuring out God's impassibility with God taking on human form is that, that Jesus, is, you know, the, when the word became flesh, Jesus uh, embodied the word in a way that only seemed to be embodied. In other words, uh, Jesus was more of like, uh, took on the appearance of a human, but was not really human himself. He just seemed to be human. Jesus is, uh, so Jesus was a sort of like hologram is the docetist. That's the way they kind of imagined, like a really effective, good hologram. That's who Jesus was. Uh, and that, you know, they would look at scripture and see the way Jesus was able to pass through crowds or the way he was able to walk on water and they could point to that and say, see, he, he was, he just appeared to be human. He wasn't all that human. Um, but the, the church uh, has affirmed over and over again that's not the way to think uh, about the word that became flesh. Um, the church realize that the truth isn't in sort of figuring this out philosophically but it's about holding together in one things that seem to be opposed Uh, holding together paradox believing that uh, in the paradox is the key to an astonishing reality that Jesus is both fully God and fully man his humanity not uh, diminishing his divinity nor his divinity diminishing his humanity um, so Jesus was a full fleshly man who ate, who drank, who had to be potty trained, who cried and laughed at jokes, who knew what fish tasted like, who was part of a family, who had fingernails. The word was flesh, completely flesh, yet was completely the word as well. In our salvation, our understanding Uh, uh, of what it means to be brought into uh, God's family, to be adopted, is tied up in holding these two things together, both word and flesh. Um, We worship the God of Jesus Christ, who is both impassable, yet also suffers for us in Jesus Christ. That's the mystery we're invited to enter into. And this is so good for us. This is good news for us. If this is true, which of course I believe it is, then this is the very center of human history, the word becoming flesh. I do believe God has um, moved into our neighborhood as Eugene Peterson translate, translates John uh, uh, 1, 14. He has taken on flesh and dwelt with us. And uh, there's a double-sided glory we see as he comes to dwell, in us, dwell with us in, in human form. When one thing is revealed is that we get a picture of what God is like. If you want to see what God's like, you look at Jesus. And secondly, in that revelation of his character is an opportunity for our healing, our salvation, our being brought into the life of God through adoption. So let's think a little bit about um, how Jesus, how, how the word uh, demonstrates to us what, what God is like. When I was growing up, I don't know if the kids here think about this sometimes, but when I used to think about God as a kid, I basically pictured my dad, who had a beard at the time, uh, but with gray hair. <laughs> That's how I pictured God. It was sort of this, this sort of benign, good-natured guy that had gray hair and wear, wore a robe. I don't know where I got that picture, but that was my, my image for God, my sword-of-sock image. Well, Jesus shows us what God is like so that our projections, our, our attempts at understanding God um, aren't the things that we rest upon. Thank goodness. Uh, I I still fight this sometimes, even as a pastor, to project onto God what God is not. So Jesus brings us into the line, brings us in line and shows us again who who God is. Um, And what he reveals is a God who loves you, who likes you, yet loves you enough to tell you the truth about your enslavement to sin. I love the testimony of uh, of John, the gospel writer, and those near him, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Shows us the character, the heart of God, Jesus does. The Word became flesh. Um, we learn this uh, through the incarnation, through the fact that the Word became flesh, is that God desires to be known. Shows that the fundamental dynamic. Uh, of our relationship, of human 's relationship to divine, is that God is the author of it. He's the one who reveals. He's the one who comes to, to dwell with us, to move into our neighborhood who tabernacles with humans. Uh, God comes to us, and he comes out of generosity, because of his generosity, in order to give generously. The Incarnation shows us that Christianity is not about man's pursuit of God, but God's dogged pursuit of man and woman. It's a pursuit that involved blood and sweat and tears. Um, we see that God's glory is demonstrated in his pursuit of us, in his desire to be known. Um, and we realize that our understanding of God is dependent upon his self-disclosure about his revealing of his, his self, himself to us. We get it wrong when we think we can build a tower up to heaven. When we think we can sort of sketch out what God is just from our own intuition. Or that we can figure out God through philosophy or science or comparative religion. It's his word to us. It's his message. It's his disclosure. Um, He humbly comes to us. But it requires from us a sort of letting go. The, the sort of humility that, that acknowledges, I can't figure God out on my own. God needs to reveal himself to us. We're dependent upon his revelation. So we learn that uh, God desires to be known, that he uh, relates to us so that we can know him. And we also learn this from John chapter one, darkness doesn't get in his way. He runs right into it and shines into it. The world's darkness, your own personal darkness, your sin, your, your shame, um, it doesn't get in his way. It in fact, it invites him. He runs toward it to be a light there. His love propels him. The fact that there's darkness motivates his heart, his, his passionate pursuit of you and me. Seen in the light, shining into the darkness. That's what the incarnation, the arc of God's movement shows us. When I was young, um, an awful thing happened to my family. Um, Could have been a lot worse. But uh, my my parents were gone on a date and we had a babysitter watching us. I think I was around uh, five. It was kindergarten. And my parents came home and they come home to the door being wide open. And um, you see a guy come out, run out, startled young guy maybe 18 or 19 and uh, there's evidence uh, on his person that some some violence had taken place and um, can you imagine coming home to that as parents but what was my parents reaction was it to encounter that darkness and drive away no their three children were inside their babysitter was inside so my, ran, my mom got out of the car and ran in to make sure everybody was okay. And, and three of us were okay, and the babysitter was wounded, but okay. And my dad, the guy took off on a bike. My dad followed him with the car and pinned him up against the wall with the car, not hurting him at all, but until the police came to, to arrest him. See, that's, a, that's like God. He, when we're in darkness, when we're um, in bondage to sin and, and, and shame and... and Uh, evil. God doesn't run away from that. His holiness isn't the, the sort of holiness that avoids that, but enters into it to redeem, to save, to heal. That's what the incarnation shows us. He comes running for us. It's his dogged pursuit of man and woman to make them children. And of course, the incarnation also shows us that God is full of irony. God's full revelation, the fullness of deity, pleased to dwell in Jesus. A first century uh, Jew in a possessed, uh, occupied land, wasn't wealthy, wasn't of the ruling class. This is where God dwelt. God's holiness, his goodness, isn't seen in his avoidance of our human situation, but of his full entering into it, being willing to be born, being willing to suffer, being willing to die on a cross. There's a bit of irony there. And then we, we read in verse 10 that Jesus was in the world, the word was in, in the world, though the world was made through him. What, a, what an ironic thing. And here's even more irony. The world did not recognize him. The one who made it all was unrecognized when he came. And more than that, he came to those which were his own and, and many of those who, which were, who were his own did not recon, recognize him or receive him. But this is how God works. He, he comes in and he flips things upside down. Um, his goodness sometimes is so good it's hard to imagine or to see when I get up really in the morning, I'm often surprised at how beautiful it is. I don't know why I, I don't come to expect this, but when I get up around sunrise, it's a glorious time of day. I'm always like, whoa, that's so good, and uh, it's so beautiful. It, it's so good to be up this, this time of day. I think uh, often God's like that sometimes. We forget so quickly, or, or we, we come to expect less than what he is, which is inexhaustible grace. In love. So God reveals to us what he's like through the incarnation. And I'm just touching the very tip of the iceberg here. There's so much there. As we look at the life of Jesus, what it reveals to us about the Father's heart, what it means for our lives. Uh, we also see in the incarnation um, the way in which God seeks to recreate us to heal us, to bring us salvation. He he reveals who he is, and part of who he is is um, one who desires to heal us at our deepest point of need. Um, One way of thinking about uh, John 1, uh, sort of paraphrasing it, is that uh, God was born of man so that man might be born of God. God um, saw our sinful state, Understood it and didn't want us to remain there. Paul writes in Galatians four four, sort of filling this out a little bit more. Um, when the time set had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. Jesus came not to give a new morality, not to make make bad people good but to make sons and daughters, to bring people into his family. The Gospel of John talks about being born again, such rich imagery. And he did this by coming to us, by becoming one of us, to heal us from the inside out, through his life, his death, his resurrection. This is the way God chose. I've been thinking of what's a good analogy to sort of demonstrate this. Um, You know, if you view our our situation as that of uh, captivity to sin and to death. Imagine it like a disease that's spread throughout all of humanity. We've all got it. It's 100% fatal. This disease of sin and death that entered through Adam. Uh, the fall of man. We are, we are, we are all sick. Um, Jesus is like the vaccine to that. He's the one who came, who took on that sin, that death, that disease, But in his holiness, in his faithfulness, in his goodness, in his divinity, uh, he conquered sin and death. He conquered the disease, not by avoiding it, by taking it on uh, and and healing us from the inside out. So that, yes, we are all uh, uh, sick, we are all caught in that sin and death, yet Jesus, uh, as he as we we come to know him, as we come to have proximity to him, as we come to trust him and believe in him, his health, his salvation becomes ours. The grace contagion is at loose in Jesus Christ. His divinity has come in and redeemed our fallen flesh through Christ. So, something uh, deep happened at the roots of our being through Jesus, at the level of of the deepest level of who we are. I think this is what it means to be born again, to have that new life. Um, We can see what we are supposed to be in Jesus and in his saving action in our lives. So, we celebrate Advent to see Jesus afresh, to see him anew, to be surprised at the vibrant colors of the truth, of the word made flesh. We celebrate Advent because we never want to forget that awesome event. We never want to think we have it all figured out. There's more depths to Jesus than you know, than you'll ever know. The key as we look at John chapter 1 is belief. The key is trust. Simply believing the good news That God wants to remake you, recreate you through Jesus, forgive you, bring you into his family. The key is simply receiving. That birthright that he declares over you. So maybe this Advent is about simply believing again. The astonishing good news of the word made flesh wants you to be his son, his daughter, part of his family. And as we walk through this door into God's family, I think we start to take on a family resemblance a little bit, bit by bit. as we experience that grace upon grace as that word invades our flesh. You've been given a gift of flesh. Your embodied life. The people you know, the work that you do, the place where you live. Yet you've also been given that word, if you've received Jesus, that word of His grace upon grace. So let that word dwell in you, dwell in your flesh, those things of your ordinary day lives, and let that word become contagious to those around you, to spread that grace contagion. It would be a shame to be like the Docetists, who don't really believe that the that that uh, the flesh was uh, was actual believe that the word could, couldn't really dwell in flesh. I wonder sometimes if we have, we have difficulty believing that the word could really dwell in our flesh, that God's spirit working through us really wants us to be the presence of Jesus to those around us, that our circumstances, as seemingly uh, benign or, or dark as they are, are the place where the word of God wants to dwell in you and through you too. So don't deny the circumstances of your life. This is the place where Jesus wants to be revealed in you. He wants to reveal his glory. I love the, the quote from St. Irenaeus from the um, second century. He, he says this, The glory of God is a man or woman fully alive. God's glory can be seen through you as you let that word dwell in you richly. So let it loose. Let that grace flow. When you see darkness, shine in it. Run to it. Believe, trust in that presence of Jesus that's in you and with you. Um, you might be surprised to, to see how uh, you're, joined, you're, you're running to join how, how Jesus is already at work in front of you and before you. So I'm so excited to to walk through Advent together this year to again see Jesus afresh. Would you pray with me so we remember? A word made flesh who desires to be known and in knowing you were, were overwhelmed, Lord, at your grace, your love, your goodness. Help us see Whatever circumstances are in our fleshly lives, help us see those as the stages for glory. We pray in all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.